Christians because we are we are waiting for Sunday, right? The day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. He's not hanging on that cross anymore. He he's risen. Amen. I said he is risen. Come on. You should be happy about that. <laughs> he is risen. He is alive. Yes, he is. So today, we're going to be uh, um, reading together. We're going to have a short reflection on John chapter 19, verses 17 to 30. So I invite you to open your Bible. We're going to read John chapter 19, verse 17 to 30. And this is going to be a short, a short reflection, a short message. And then we will have communion. Pastor Roy is going to minister, minister the communion this morning. And, and we're going to have our time of, uh, of offerings. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for giving Jesus to us. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. If we don't have anything else from this earth, but we have Jesus, we have it all. And thank you, Jesus, for being so faithful to your Father. The Bible says that you were obedient to the, to, to the point of dying on that cross for us. And Lord, today we want to remember your sacrifice. We want to remember your love. We want to look at the cross. And we want to see in that cross... In that tree, we want to see your love. It is truly the tree of love for us believers. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray that you bless your word, that, that your, your word, Lord, will impact our lives and you will transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. John chapter 19, verse 17, it says... Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucify him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the, un- with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now, now been finished, and so that scripture will be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, 
it is finished. With that, he, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. The first verse, verse 17, it says, carrying his own cross. And this week, I, I wrote this, and I, I want to read it to you. It says, because you love me, Jesus, you took my cross and you made it yours. You didn't have to take that cross, Lord. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve its pain and shame. That cross was mine to take, but you carry it. You carry it anyways. Oh, how amazing is your love for me! The Bible says that Jesus carried the cross to the place they call Golgotha, or the place of the skull, a place of darkness and iniquity, a place of desolation and despair. Golgotha was the place for the hopeless. For the guilty, for those who deserve nothing but punishment and death. How amazing is your love, Jesus, for me. Oh, wonderful Savior, you decided to associate yourself with the poor in your birth. Being born in a manger, you decided to associate yourself with the sinners during your life, eating with them and bringing to them your compassion and life. And you decided to associate yourself with the guilty, dying between thieves and murderers. And that, my brother, that is our condition without you, Jesus. That's who we are. We are just poor and broken sinners who have nothing else but condemnation and just judgment over our shoulders. How amazing is your love for me. Jesus was crucified between two criminals, says the Bible. John gives us, gives us some de details. In verse 18, he, he writes, There they crucify him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus was in the middle. This is a vivid picture of what grace and salvation means. The picture of the Golgotha shows, shows us one dying for sin, Jesus, the Messiah, dying, dying for the sins of the world, and then another one dying in sin, The, the, the hardened heart and self-righteous thief who was there right beside Jesus. But then we see someone else. We see one dying to sin. The penitent and repentant thief who used this opportunity to surrender his life to Jesus and believe in him. So who we are. Who we are today. Are we seeing the cross to, as a place where, where we are called to die to our sins? Or are we just living the life of sin? And we are every day dying more and more. Here we see two guilty persons and one innocent. Two paying their, their debts to society and one paying our debt to sin. And I believe this is the image that Paul had in mind when he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 20. The gospel impels us to place ourselves in that cross and in doing so to die to ourselves, to our ego and selfish desires, to our sins and to our pride. You know, one thing is to just stand there at the foot of the cross and other thing is to say, I will not just stand there, I will hang myself to that cross. So that's what Paul did during his whole life. A life of sacrifice for God. 
Jesus, the Lord Jesus, commanded us to deny ourselves and take up his cross every day and follow him. We are not called to be mere spectators of the events of the cross. No, we are not called to be at the foot of the cross, but to be on the cross, dying to ourselves and experiencing the resurrection to the new life that Jesus promised to all those who believe. In verses 19 to 22, the direction of our passage changes. Now the focus of everything that was taking place in that hill is not the sufferings of the cross or the shame of the crucifixion, but the royalty of Jesus himself. John tells us that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to that cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Despite Pilate's intentions of mocking Jesus, as the Romans used to do with the people that they condemned to, to the death penalty, this is a powerful statement, isn't it? King of the Jews. Whether the majority of the Jewish nation rejected Jesus as their king, that didn't affect the reality of his kingship and lordship. And whether the whole world turned their backs to Jesus, that doesn't affect who he is. He's the king. Not only of the Jews, he's the king of the world. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of heaven and earth. He's the king of the kingdom of God. The only king. In in his beautiful and sublime poem of Philippians 2, Paul connects the events of the cross with who Jesus is, with his identity. In in Philippians 2, 6, it says, Who, being in, in better nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that Jesus was Lord, Jesus is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In this age and in the age to come. In this time of the world and in the world that is still to come. The kingdom. He is the king. In verses 23 and 24, our attention is drawn to the four Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross. Could you imagine them there? The same persons, the same people that were, that just a couple of hours before were just you know, punishing Jesus, spitting at Jesus. We see them now fighting over Jesus' clothes. And it seems to me strange that these men, they wanted to keep the blood-stained clothes of Jesus as some kind of souvenir, I guess. It is strange. Surely, that place, the place of a skull, is a strange place. Jesus tells us that, sorry, John tells us that all this happened in accordance with the Bible, so the scripture might be fulfilled. And you see that pattern all over this, this story, this passage. So the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, what most of us probably don't know is that Jesus was actually crucified completely naked. Completely naked. Jewish law required that the person being crucified will be stripped naked. 
So there Jesus hung completely open and naked before the world, while his crucifiers literally distributed his clothes among themselves. Of course, you would not see a painting of Jesus completely naked. The church, you know, managed to change the story a little bit. But it's important for us to understand this. He was crucified there completely naked, and I'm going to show you why. Then the question that comes to my mind and probably to your mind is this. Why is it so important that Jesus was crucified naked? Why? I believe the answer is to remind us that while Jesus has absorbed all of our sin and wrongdoing, he has also absorbed all of our shame. All of our shame. Not not only your sins, also your shame. And you and me, we know that shame is the horrible consequence of sin, right? It's horrible. It's horrible. Any sin, adultery, just lying, it's just shameful. Cheating to your wife or, you know, saying things that hurt other people and then you feel terrible, you feel the shame. But the important thing of the story of Jesus on that cross is that he died there naked. And he absorbed also, not only your sins, but also all your shame. You don't need to be in shame anymore. As Jay Bernard writes, Jesus went through, through it all, crucified naked, that you might be clothed, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, just like Todd was singing today. And so be able to stand before God throughout the endless ages of eternity. Verses 25 and 27 are the key central portion from last Sunday message. When we talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her decision of believing in her son Jesus as her Lord and even following Jesus to the cross. Now, the last part of this short reflection will be based on the final verse of today's Bible portion, verses 28 to 30. Verses verses 28 to 30. John says that even hanging from that cross, Jesus knew exactly that everything was now finished. Could you imagine the suffering that, you know, that Jesus was going through? And even though he, his mind, he, he, he couldn't know that everything was being fulfilled. This is the last thing. Everything is fulfilled now. Everything that had been said about him and his sacrificial death was now fulfilled. From the first messianic promise of Genesis 3.15 to that crude and uh, so vivid picture of the sufferings of the, of the Messiah in Isaiah 53. Everything had been fulfilled. And then we come across to one of the seven words of Jesus on the cross. He said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. It is interesting to know that chronologically, this is Jesus' sixth word from the cross. And in the Bible, you know that sex represents men. It represents humanity. Jesus was relating to us because we are also thirsty. We thirst for so many things in this life. He knows. Jesus was here fulfilling the messianic prophecy from Psalm 69, 21 that says, They put gall in in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And by saying he was thirsty, he prompted the Roman guards to give him vinegar, which was customary at a crucifixion, thereby fulfilling that prophecy. But also, he was directly relating to our human condition. My friend, all of us here, all of us, all of us, we have experienced thirst before. All of us know what thirst is. Now, did Jesus only mean that he thirsted for something to drink? 
Or was he thirsting for much more? What was Jesus really saying with these two touching words? What resounding significance these words have? I believe that they declare that Jesus, the Son of God, had so completely been stripped of everything that he could not even alleviate his own thirst. But I also believe that these words, I am thirsty, were his way of expressing the thirst of God, the Father, for the restoration of our rupture relationship with him. Maybe Jesus was expressing his thirst to enjoy the presence of his, of his Father one more time and also to enjoy our own presence with him. So my question to Jesus today is, are you still thirsty, Lord? How can I help you? Are you thirsty of having a deeper relationship with me? A deeper connection, and not only on Easter Sunday or Easter week, but every day. Not only on Sundays for a couple of hours, but every day. After this, John tells us that Jesus uttered his last words. It is finished. In Greek, this is just one word, telestai, which can also be translated as paid in full. Paid in full. This word, this single word, changed the history and destiny of mankind. That single word, telestai, it is paid, paid in full. It is finished. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the Lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due to His people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. And this is just the preamble to the great event of Jesus' resurrection. My friend, today I want to invite you to listen and to meditate on these words one more time. It is finished. Jesus paid the full price so you can now believe in Him and find love, hope, restoration. It is finished means that the power of sin and the power of death over your life is broken. They are literally finished. Your pain, your shame, your loneliness, your lack of purpose in life, your sins, your condemnation, all that, it's finished. Jesus finished Finished it all in that cross. And he's also invited, inviting you to come to him and believe in him. He's inviting you to believe in him and to make him your personal savior. He's also sharing his heart with you, with me. He's thirsty. And you know, those two words, those three words, I am thirsty. Well, you know, those words were the rema for me this week. I am thirsty. I believe that Jesus, he, he thirsts to have a deeper, continuous, and more meaningful relationship with me and with you every day. So what will your response be? What will be my response? How will, how will you alleviate Jesus' thirst? How? Maybe the Lord is calling you today, this Good Friday day, to come. To come and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I want to acknowledge you as my functional Lord. I want to surrender my life to you every day. I want to seek your face every day. I want to, I want to alleviate your thirst with my presence. We always have the idea of, well, of God's presence. But I believe that also God has the idea of looking for our presence. He wants to see us every day in our prayer time, in our devotions. 
So let me pray with you before Pastor Roy comes to the stage. He's going to share with us some words about communion. I invite you to to bow down your head and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, because you paid it all. Jesus, I see you I see you there on that cross. Jesus, I see you there. I see you naked, bloody, suffering, horrible, a horrible death, suffering terribly. And you cried out in pain and agony. We can hear you saying, I thirst. And we feel, Lord, helpless because we don't know what you mean. How, how do you want me, Lord, to alleviate your thirst? How do you want us to alleviate your thirst? I need help getting in touch with my own thirst, a thirst that I unconsciously fill with so many distractions that leave me unsatisfied. We thirst, we thirst, we thirst, Lord, we thirst too. And I know most of all, Lord, that I thirst for love. Could that be what you thirst for too? Then Lord, I pray for, for me and the church that you help us to fall in love with you today again. Lord, get rid of the distractions in our lives. But Lord, help us to focus on that cross. Because the cross is power. The message of the cross is power. Lord, today we come before you and we thank you because you you paid it all. But also we come before you today to say, Lord, here we are. We want to satisfy your thirst with our love, with our praise, with our worship, with our lives and with our obedience every day. Not only today, every day. And we commit ourselves to follow you, to have times, personal times with you every day to listen to your voice and to be obedient to your direction for our lives in Jesus name amen amen god bless you pastor thank you pastor roger well we might not think it's good friday when we look outside but um it's just the last kick at the can that the weather's taking, I guess. Um, appreciate that word, Pastor Roger. Um, yeah, there was a lot of rhema words in there. And I'm just going to change the order of our service a little bit. Um, 